Greetings, folks. Happy spring break. How many teachers do I have here tonight? Okay. All right. Enjoying spring break. You know, I was just thinking this will be my last spring break with a student at home. This is Dylan's last spring break. My youngest, a senior in high school. Boy, goes quick, doesn't it? Let's turn to Luke chapter 3 tonight. Tonight we're going to look at the life and ministry of a great, great man of God in the scripture. John the Baptist. Luke chapter 3. And that's the only place we'll be tonight. No jumping around tonight. This will be right at Luke chapter 3, page 1181, if you're using that Bible under the seat. Lord, we thank you for uh, just those simple times of worship where we can let everything from the world wash away. Just come into your presence and sing your praise. We praise your name. And Lord, tonight I want to thank you for the men and women of faith that have gone before us. The great examples that you've given us in your word. We marvel at their courage, their faith, their tenacity. Lord, they prove that a life sold out following you is very possible. And Lord, we want to uh, learn from their example. And we want to be like them. We want to live our lives in a way that counts. So teach us tonight from the example of your servant in Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. That's from Jesus. And that's saying something, isn't it? John is a very special man of God, and it's worth our time studying his life and learning about his life and wanting to live our lives like he did. His story begins in verse 1 of Luke chapter 3. It says, now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trichonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, Texas. No, probably not Abilene, Texas. While Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. 
So here is the activation, if you will, of John the Baptist, one of the greatest men of God in all of history, activated for service right here. John has been living as a hermit, a monk in the wilderness for many years, probably way down south around the Dead Sea, if you've ever been there, wilderness area. He's been living an ascetic lifestyle. He's been living off of uh, locusts and wild honey, getting used to camel hair clothing and wild uh, leather belts. He's been in solitude. He's been in isolation. He's no doubt been waiting upon the Lord, waiting for his call to service. I imagine that he spent most of his days in prayer, perhaps fasting. Waiting for that call. And the call comes. The sleeper cell is activated. It says the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Off to the races. Now, if you remember, Luke is a very meticulous um, historian. So he gives a lot of different details about history. And here he lists seven rulers that were reigning at this time. Tiberius Caesar. He was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He reigned from 14 AD to 37 AD. Then Pontius Pilate. You've all heard of him, right? He's been assigned as the governor of Judea. He serves in that capacity from 26 to 36 AD. When Herod the Great died in 4 BC, his region was divided up into four different regions and his sons took over. They're called Tetrarchs, ruler of a fourth. Uh, Herod Antipas, he's the one listed first. He's over Galilee. His brother Philip is also uh, serving as a Tetrarch. And then Lysanias is also Uh, serving as a tetrarch. And then there are two high priests mentioned. These are the guys that are serving as the high priests in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, Annas is listed. He actually served as high priest from 6 to 15 AD. He was deposed by the Roman authorities. They chose his son-in-law, a man by the name of Caiaphas, to take over, and he would serve from 18 to 36 A.D. Rome had Caiaphas in charge, but most of the Jews uh, still saw Annas as the main high priest. And you have all of these guys, you have all of their names, and you know their dates when they reigned. And so from that information, we can figure out the year that John the Baptist was activated. It says he was called in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. He began serving in 14 AD. So you add 15 to 14 and what do you get? 29 AD. That's when John the Baptist began his ministry. And that fits perfectly the timeline, doesn't it? John the Baptist activated at 29 AD. And what a contrast between John the Baptist and those seven men that I just mentioned. 
these powerful men and then this hermit. And I ask you, who would God choose to use in a mighty way? The Roman emperor? The governor? The tetrarchs? The high priests? Nope, the hermit. The no-name. And again, who did Jesus call one of the greatest men ever born of women? A Roman emperor? A governor? The tetrarch? The high priest? No, the hermit. The monk. The humble man. John the Baptist. So John is activated... And what does John do? What is his purpose? Look at verse 3. It says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall shall see the salvation of God. Please know this about John. He is a direct fulfillment to a very important, well-known Old Testament prophecy. Luke is quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. By the way, that prophecy was given in 700 BC, 700 years before there is a John the Baptist. Malachi also affirms this prophecy in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And the Jews rightly believed that according to those prophecies, right before the Messiah shows up, there's going to be a forerunner, an advance man, someone who prepares the way. And this guy would be, as it says in the prophecy, one voice crying in the wilderness He would prepare the way of the Lord. He would make paths straight. He would fill up the valleys. He would bring the mountains and the hill low. He would make the crooked places straight and the rough ways smooth. And that is fulfilled by John the Baptist. That's what he was called to do. He was born to play a secondary role to the main role. He was born to be the forerunner, to be the prep man. John the Baptist was sort of like one of those prep chefs. You know what a prep chef is? They're the ones that get everything ready in the kitchen for the main chef. That's the guy who... You know, chops all the vegetables, cuts the meat, grinds the meat, maybe gets all the ingredients out, mixes it together, weighs, measures out. 
has everything ready. And so then the main chef comes in and does the actual cooking. John the Baptist was like that. He was like a pre-op guy in surgery. The guy that gets the patient ready for surgery. All the utensils in place. Shave the area of the body. Anesthesiologist gets the patient ready. And then the main surgeon comes in and does the work. John was called to play a role like that. Think of that. One of the greatest men ever born among women, according to Jesus, born to play a secondary role. The prep man. And if you kind of want to understand a little bit better this prophecy, um, it's symbolic. In uh, those days, whenever a king went on a journey to visit people in different villages, advanced men were sent ahead. And these guys had two jobs. Number one, prepare the roads. Make sure that all of the obstacles are off the road. You can't have any delays for the king. Fill in the valleys, flatten the terrain, make the crooked ways straight, smooth off. You know, get rid of the orange barrels, right? And fill up the potholes. That was one of their jobs. Their second job was to run ahead into the villages and announce, hey, the king's on the way. You all better get ready. He's on the way. They didn't have email, Facebook, phones back then. So you send folks ahead. That's what John the Baptist was called to do for King Jesus. Prepare the way to him. Get people ready for Jesus. And he wasn't dealing with physical roads or physical uh, barriers or obstacles John the Baptist was concerned about spiritual roads, spiritual obstacles, spiritual barriers to get the people spiritually ready. And I got to tell you, it says that he was one voice crying in the wilderness. That is so perfect for John because the religion of Israel in that day had become a wilderness, a dry Hardened wilderness. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders of Israel, they were detached from the normal people. They presented a religion before the people that was literally impossible to obtain. And we know that they were hypocrites and corrupt. Most of the common Jews were mildly religious. They'd go and do the thing at the temple, but their religion was detached from the way that they would behave day in and day out. And we know that there was a lot of corruption going on in the business world, the family world, all the different sectors of the community. There were hardened hearts, cold hearts, indifferent hearts. Israel was asleep at the wheel, spiritually. And John was sent to wake them up. To up the spiritual temperature. The king is coming. The Messiah is about to come on the scene. Their hearts needed to be prepared. 
Now, there are two activities that John engaged in in getting the people ready. Number one, preaching. John was a preacher. It says in verse 2, or verse 3, excuse me, he went into all the region around the Jordan doing what? Preaching. John was a preacher. And my friends, he was a talented, gifted, powerful, powerful preacher. In fact, he had one of the most successful preaching ministries ever in the history of preaching. Bible scholars believe that John the Baptist had 300,000 converts. In a day when there wasn't uh, TV or radio or social media or internet, Hundreds of thousands came out to hear John the Baptist preach. Out in the wilderness. He was an amazing preacher. You know, as a student of preachers, I, I admire preachers. I watch. I would love to get some of his preaching uh, streamed. Wouldn't that be great? What a sight he must have been in that camel skin robe. Preaching to hundreds of thousands. And know this also about John. He was a very hard preacher. He was a bold preacher. He was a fiery preacher. He was an unconventional preacher. He was the, politic, the politically correct crowd's worst nightmare. He literally told the truth exactly as it was. And his was a message of repenting from sin. John the Baptist called sinners, sinners. He called sin, sin. And he came along the scene and he is just calling people to repentance. No subject was off limit. And he didn't show any favoritism or partiality. It didn't matter what sector of society you were from. When you came to one of his services, he'd hit you. In fact, we have an example of one of John's sermons, which is why I brought you here to Luke chapter 3. We have some excerpts from it. Take a look at it. Look at verse 7. It says, then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now that's just the introduction. Imagine if I introduced my sermon tonight that way. Please turn to Luke chapter 3, you snakes. Be weird. Or imagine if I welcome people to Calvary Chapel every Sunday that way. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, you brood of vipers. I couldn't get away with that. John the Baptist could. He goes on in verse 8 to say, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. 
And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You need to stop your sinning. You need to repent of your sin. You are the children of God. You are the people of God. But don't say to yourselves, hey, we're Abraham's children. You know, like we just talked about on Sunday. Hey, we're Abraham's children. We're okay. John would say, well, you need to act like it. You need to bear fruits of repentance. You need to get right. You need to cut it out. And he says, the axe right now is being swung. It's right there at the tree. All of the trees that don't bear fruit will be chopped down and burned in the fire. Strong message. Verse 10, so the people asked him, saying, what shall we do? You think they were afraid? He answered and said to them, watch this. He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Look how practical. Look how direct. To the people who are called the people of God, the children of God. He says, there's poor people all around you. And what are you doing about it? You have two tunics. You have plenty of clothing for yourself. And people are walking around and they don't have anything. Give them something. You have plenty of food. People all around you don't. Give them something. Share. Hitting them right there. This is a preacher getting right in your grill, right? Right up close. Verse 12. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Again, Nailing them. Remember, tax collectors were con artists back then. They were thieves. These were Jews who had bought Roman tax collection services from the Roman Empire. They're collecting taxes from fellow Jews for the Roman Empire. And the Romans didn't care how much they charged for their services. You just give us our taxes and you can charge whatever you want. And they would charge huge amounts ripping their Jewish brethren off in day-to-day business activity, John the Baptist says, repent of your sin. Quit ripping people off. Verse 14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. So again, we had soldiers coming to John the Baptist. These guys carry the the clubs. They're in great authority. What do we need to do, John? Stop intimidating people. Stop abusing your power. Stop making false accusations. No doubt they were trying to get bribes from people. 
They weren't content with their wages. And John calls them on the carpet and says, cut it out. Repent. You know, I, I like straightforward preaching like that, don't you? I mean, I don't want to have to guess what the guy's saying. And you didn't have to guess with John. And a lot of people, I, I'm sure he drove a lot of people crazy. But the good, old-fashioned, hard truth is important to know. I heard about a, a young pastor who uh, took over a church in a logging town. And he noticed that the woodcutters would brand their stamp on the end of each log as they put it in the river to float down to the mill. That way the mill would credit them for the log. One day down at the river, he noticed some of the men from his church sawing the ends of some logs off. And then putting their own stamps on it, claiming those logs as their own. That Sunday, the pastor preached a sermon Thou shalt not steal. But he noticed the same men did the same thing the following week. So the next Sunday, he titled his sermon, Thou shalt not saw the end off thy neighbor's log. And he was immediately run out of town. (laughs) You know, Your faith, your belief, needs to match the way you live your life practically in the day by day. I've noticed in the church that there are many theoretical Christians and then practical Christians. There are theoretical Christians, Christians in theory. They know all of the doctrine. They know how to get saved. They've had the born-again experience but it doesn't leak into any of their other areas of life. It's just theoretical. It needs to be practical, doesn't it? What you believe, how you behave, day to day, with your family, in your business, in your community, in your neighborhood, should be an extension. It should be proof of what you believe. James put it this way. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We need to be theoretical and practical. Amen? And that's in every area of our life. So John would hit these people right where they were at. And remember also I told you that he showed no partiality, no favoritism. It didn't matter who came to hear him preach. Skip down to verse 18 real quick. It says, And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. 
But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up in prison. Now this is a story that we also got more information about in other passages. Herod Antipas loved John. We literally know that this very powerful man would go out and hear John the Baptist preach. Now at that time there was a great scandal taking place. Herod Antipas was in a relationship with his brother, the other tetrarch, Philip's wife. And it was the talk of the town. It was scandalous behavior. So this guy comes and hears John preach and John said to him publicly, you're in sin. Called him out. And also called him out on other evils that he was committing. Man, that's courageous, isn't it? To tell people the truth no matter where they are. What position they hold. And John the Baptist did pay for that, didn't he? Herod Antipas did have John arrested. And his wife... Uh, the one that was stolen from Philip, never forgave John. And eventually you remember the story. Uh, because of her and her daughter, John the Baptist was beheaded in prison. But still, so courageous, willing to just stick to the truth, no matter what. So John was a great, strong, fearless, bold preacher. His second activity was also, what do you think? Baptizing. He is called John the, the Baptist. So uh, many people would come to hear John preach, and the baptism was linked to his preaching. The baptism was a symbolic action for the people. The people would come, and and John would call them out on their sin, tell them to repent, and, and many folks did. And to show that they were serious about it, they got down there in the Jordan River with John the Baptist, who baptized them. It was symbolic of a change in their life. And, and this was total preparation for the Messiah. Gentiles would be baptized in order to become Jews. That would happen with proselytizing. But Jews were never baptized as Jews until John comes along. It was this unique thing. People, get ready, clean up your house. The Messiah is about to come. And so many people responded. I believe it was a great revival. And I believe there was this, this air of anticipation surrounding everywhere in the Jordan region, Jerusalem. The Messiah is about to come. He did a great job doing what he was called to do. 
Now, he became so popular, huge crowds came to hear him, that after a while, people began to even sort of whisper, and they began to think that perhaps John the Baptist himself was the Messiah. Look how John responded to that. Look at verse 15. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, you see that? People are thinking, is this guy the Christ? John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John made it very clear, do not mix me up with the Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I am the advance man. I am the forerunner to the Messiah. And John, speaking of the Messiah, says, he is much mightier than I am. I baptize with water. He'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I speak of the judgment to come. He'll bring the judgment. He is the judge who will separate the wheat from the chaff. And John says of the Messiah, I am not worthy to loosen his sandal straps. And you need to understand how awesome that is, what it meant in that culture. You know, in that day, uh, there were slaves. And slaves could be called upon the master to do a, a number of things. But the lowest menial task that a slave would do the lowest, the bottom, was taking somebody's sandals off, getting them ready for feet washing. That was the lowest, the most menial task. What John is saying, the Messiah is so, so great and so much greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to do the most menial task that a slave would do for his master. John knew who he was. He knew the role that he was to play. He was never ever to draw any attention to himself. It wasn't about him creating a kingdom for himself. It was about him pointing others to the Messiah. All those great crowds that came to hear him, his job was to lose them and connect them all with the Messiah who would come. And he did that effectively. I love this painting, kind of a famous painting of John the Baptist as a little boy. It's so symbolic. John loved the lamb. 
John lived to point people to the Lamb. And folks, that day did come. He's out there baptizing. And Jesus shows up. You remember? And what is it that John says? Looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. There he is. Go after him. And then you remember after Jesus is revealed and he goes into the public ministry, the crowds start to leave, don't they? They leave John the Baptist and they start going to, uh, to Jesus. Jesus gets all the crowds. And the disciples of John the Baptist freak out over that. They're like, John, everyone's leaving us. They're all going to hear Jesus now. Quick, do something. And you remember what John said? He said these words, and I quote John chapter 3. You bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. That's why, I'm, that's why I came, he says. I must decrease. He must increase. That's my goal. That's my purpose. I love the imagery. He says, the Messiah is the bridegroom. I'm the best man. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. All the attention is supposed to go on the bridegroom and the bride. Not the best man. He says, I rejoice. Beautiful. So humble. So proper. And you know what? John the Baptist faded out of the picture. Yep, his crowds got smaller and smaller and smaller. He decreased more and more. And the crowds for Jesus got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually John, as you know, is arrested, put in prison, and he'll be martyred for his faith. The greatest man born of women, according to Jesus. Man, what an example. There are, I think, some very, very important lessons that we can learn from John the Baptist and things that we should apply to ourselves as Christians. Listen carefully. John the Baptist had a purpose in life, and he was activated for that purpose. If you're a Christian tonight, you have a purpose in life. You. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brother in Christ, sister in Christ, you were born for a purpose. And you were definitely born again for a purpose. And certainly it is to be a good witness for Jesus. 
And I'd like you to consider yourself tonight activated. You're activated right now. You don't have to go wait around in the wilderness for 20 years waiting for a call. I believe God calls us into service the moment we get saved. We are to go out there and start serving the Lord and being a witness for him. And I want you to know tonight that God can use you right now, wherever you are, wherever you work, no matter what kind of circumstance you might be in life. You don't have to be a Roman emperor. You don't have to be a governor or a priest or a tetrarch. You just have to be a humble servant. God can use you right now. And be faithful to what God has called you to do. John the Baptist, his whole purpose in life was to prepare a way for the Lord. That's our purposes in life. Christian, our job, our jobs are to prepare a path for the Lord. Meaning, live your life in such a way that that opens up a pathway for others to come to the Lord through you. Open, open roads. The way you live your life, the way I live my life, should attract people to the Lord. I certainly pray that your life as a Christian wouldn't be a hindrance to somebody coming, becoming a Christian. You know, the way you live in your daily life, practical day by day. I hope you're not a blatant hypocrite who claims to be a Christian and then goes out there and, and just lives like the world. And you, Why would anyone want to be like you? You're no different than anyone else. You're an obstacle. You're, 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 making, you're roughing up the road. Why would you do that? Go out there and live for him. Shine for him. My brother and sister in Christ, we have people all around us who have questions and they have issues that they struggle with. There's these barriers, there's these, uh, these pitfalls, these mountains. They have questions. As Christians, we should be the one to clear those out of the way. Give them answers. Share truth with them. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 3, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Get out there in the conversation, man. Talk with people. They ask you a question you don't know. Come to the church. Ask Bruce. He'll he'll tell you. Get some help. Go study. Do some research. Every time you ask a question and you don't know the answer and you go back and you study, you've got another tool for the next time somebody asks you that question. And then say to the person who asked you that question, I don't know, I'll get back to you, and then you you better go get back to them or her. Clear the path. 
My brother and sister in Christ, we need to be preachers, bold, fearless. Not afraid to touch the very unpopular subjects. We need to stand for the truth. Now, I know that gets more and more difficult with every year here in this country, and it takes great, great courage. And I would always say, on, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, those hot-button issues? Be very tactful and be loving, but shoot straight. Share the truth. Be bold. A couple Sundays ago, you may have heard me. I mentioned, uh, I gave, made comment about the transgender issue. I said, why would anybody in their right mind allow a man who dresses like, like a woman to go into a restroom that's occupied by our wives and our little daughters and our sisters? And how that, that, that's an issue that shouldn't even be on the table for debate. Do you realize I offended a several people in this church with that comment? That's the day and age in which we live. And I would just ask them, what Bible do you read? Now, we don't go after people hatefully. We want to point people to Christ. But you got you to shoot straight. You know, circumstances and history change. Does the word of God change? Till it does, and it won't, we shouldn't preach anything else. You have to preach. You have to be bold. And then remember, in your service as a Christian, no matter what you're doing, all of the attention, your number one desire should be that all of the attention goes where? To Jesus. You're pointing to him. That's the goal. We don't want to get people to us. We want to get people to Christ. Oh, Christian, remember that. It's not about how many people you can get to your Bible study or your church or your Christian ministry or whatever it might be that you're doing for the Lord. That's not the issue. The issue is how many people can you get to Jesus? That's all that matters. And so lead people to Christ and be very, very humble. You don't want any attention. There was a Presbyterian pastor in Melbourne, Australia. And he had J. Hudson Taylor come to speak at his church. And he gave one of these, like, huge introductions. I'm going to, you know, here's Taylor. He's all these superlatives, all these accolades. Use the word great over and over. A great this, a great that. A gr- Just over the top. Taylor stepped to the pulpit after that and quietly said, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. That's who I am. That's all I am. All the glory goes to Christ, 
all the effort, all the work, all the praying, all the ministry to lead people to Christ. We can all learn from John the Baptist, can't we? Let's ask the Lord to help us as we close. Father, we're, again, so encouraged by men and women who did it, who lived the life of faith, who served you and followed you even at great cost to themselves. Lord, I do pray, I do ask and pray that as Christian men and women here tonight, the Christian life would truly be all about you, everything about you, pointing people to you. Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that draws people into your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would be good witnesses who study hard and learn, to de- and learn the issues. Pray that you would give us great tact and love and skill. And I do pray that our lives would be oh, secondary roles. Thank you, Lord, that you want to use us, that you can use us. And encourage us in that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.